listeners. Welcome back to the Purposeful Marketing Podcast. Aaron, Mary, and James here. And what we're going to do is have purposeful conversations. That is what we do on the show. If you're new to this show, what we like is to bring on really smart, funny, great people that are marketers to teach us something, right? And that's the conversation we've been having recently. We like to have very broad, philosophical, thoughtful conversations so we can bring someone on to help us dive a little deeper. So on today's episode, it's going to be the same, right? We have Rand today to talk us through the idea about building a culture. Before we get there, we want to have some banter because we like that too, and we're people. So Mary's going to ask a couple of questions, and then we'll go back to the question of today's show is, you know, how do you build a purposeful culture? And we'll have Rand kind of talk us through that. So go ahead, Mary. Yeah. First of all, Rand, I would love to thank you for saying yes to probably the worst podcast pitch in the history of podcast pitches. I'm pretty sure I said something like, Rand, will you please come on this podcast that the three of us do and we don't promote it and like we have no listeners and sometimes we get compliments. And Rand was like, I would love to. This sounds great. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> oh, my God. No, my pleasure. I am uh, I am thrilled to be joining you all. Awesome. So first thing um, I learned in some of my research is that, Rand, you like to cook. And so does Amanda, who's on your team, which is super cool. Um, so we also found out during that journey that Aaron, James, and I are all the cooks in our family. We do all the cooking. So what is the last meal that you cooked and how would you rate it? Give me a one out of 10. <laughs> oh, this is a good day to ask, actually. Uh, last night, I made sort of a uh, Japanese salmon and ikura rice bowl. So I have this like fancy kushikari rice that I um, get at one of the Asian supermarkets here and then uh, make that. And it had surprisingly perfectly um, butter sauteed salmon and uh, with it with a like, you know, miso rice vinegar, soy uh, topping and then ikura, the little salmon eggs. They're like caviar, but way cheaper. So instead of like $100 for a little tin, they're like $6.50. Um, and yeah, it was it was outstanding. Geraldine Geraldine thought it was one of our, our uh, should be in the rotation, right? So it's a new, new attempt and apparently top-notch, well-received. She had some for lunch today. Heck yeah. And that was great. So there you go. Nice. Did And did you like invent it yourself or do you follow people and then try and like do a copycat recipe kind of thing? Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. I um, let's see. I think there's a a quite similar, not exactly the same recipe from JustOneCookbook.com, which is like this Japanese woman in California who, yeah, has a very popular um, recipe site. Really, really good stuff. I've gotten a ton of recommendations from her. Nice, that's awesome. I think you said um, in one of your pods. I think Casio e Pepe is that your is that one of your favorites? Casio e Pepe, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Casio e Pepe. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. you got it. Very cool. So I was actually informed by Aaron that that's really just like pasta. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a dish that people know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so cache pepe is um, very popular Roman dish. All, it's, it's like basically three ingredients, which is you've got spaghetti, you have pecorino uh, cheese, and you have black pepper. Technically, obviously you should probably add some salt and the, um, the sauce is made by if you you have to have the absolute perfect temperature water and you mix it in with the cheese 
and then you put the pasta in that. There's some fancy restaurants where they'll actually take an entire cheese wheel of pecorino and then they'll hollow it out, right? So partially hollow it out and then put the spaghetti and the pasta water, the hot pasta water in there. Nice. But it's extremely finicky because if the, the science of it is if the temperature of the water that you mix the cheese with gets above 60 degrees Celsius or below 40 degrees Celsius, uh, the cheese will congeal and it'll turn gloppy and gross and terrible. So you have this extremely narrow band. So unless you're making it all the time and you know exactly sort of your water temp, how long, da 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 da, da it's, it's kind of a nightmare. But there's a cheat code. There's a cheat code. Tell us. I use this because I like making this analogy to tons of things in startups and marketing. So if you acquire a chemical compound, which you can, is flavorless and odorless called sodium citrate, uh, you can buy it on Amazon. You can get a big tin for like 20 bucks. You only need a, a pinch of it, like less than a teaspoon. Sodium citrate, when mixed with cheese, uh, changes the congealment point so that you can have your water at any temperature. It does not become finicky. It'll stay sauce-like. It's the same thing they use in like Vel- Velveeta cheese sauce or if you've ever had uh, queso fundido or something like yeah. that to get that smooth cheese sauce consistency. You just add sodium citrate to the liquid and the solid. You can do it the same thing with cacio e pepe, and no one will know that you're not just a genius Roman chef who's been making it all your life. Oh my gosh. Wait, so what's the metaphor? It turns out, it turns out, James, that this is not just true in cheese-based pasta sauces, right? So That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. For example, for example, right? Like what one of the things that, in my opinion, personally, ruins companies, absolutely destroys them, is a uh, growth at all costs, billion dollar or bust incentive model. If you remove that one component from you know tons and tons of startups and companies and, and thought processes, you get a really beautiful, unique, different form of small business-minded capitalism that is focused on making a product people love, keeping a team happy and employed, uh, producing sustainable profits over a long period of time, keeping the company alive. <laughs> the, all the companies that you kind of love, they do that, right? All You're like, whatever, local small brewery that you go to and like the guy who runs it is awesome and the little coffee shop around the corner and uh, your favorite independent fantasy book creator. It, all those kinds of people are motivated by not how do I become a billion dollars or die right. trying. So the sodium citrate is the freeing yourself from the need for everything to go off perfectly without a hitch in order to be successful. Yes, exactly. Right. So sometimes it's about adding an ingredient and sometimes it's a, about taking away a problem mm-hmm. ingredient. And um, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating to me that <laughs> So many people think that they should build their startup without sodium citrate. Like, just just go for it. Just add this. I, I don't want to trivialize the challenge that entrepreneurs go through or that marketers have to go through with their projects. But, you know, I can tell you, if you're a marketer, right, the secret ingredient is a fantastic product that people love and want to talk about. And if you've ever done marketing where you're trying to smear lipstick on a pig, 
you know how insanely challenging that is and how frustrating that process is. And you also know what it's like when the secret ingredient is there, right? And, and I would say, you know, in marketing, it's even more so a product that is purposefully designed to have a great answer to the question, who is going to amplify this and why? Because, I, you know, in fairness, there are lots of terrible products that do quite well. Um, my understanding is that the Real Housewives TV series is incredibly successful. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's a quality product. I, frozen be- breakfast burritos are not a high quality product, right? It's, um, and yet they, they can sell quite well. But, but they have a great answer to who's going to amplify this and why. In the case of the breakfast burrito, it is, well, guess what? They already had the distribution channels and the relationships with all the retail store managers and the brand name associations and the connections, right? So they had that amplification built in from the start. And with The Real Housewives, it's, boy, it's terrible TV and I feel guilty for watching it, but I do kind of want to tell everybody about it, right? So it just, it has that that element of, uh, whatever, drama and humor and unbelievableness, but also relatableness that uh, merits discussion. So anyway, that's my that's my analogy from Cache Pepe to everything else we're going to talk about. Love it. Okay, one thing I want to linger on, because I think this is really important, is with that idea of purpose and that mindset and like, what are you trying to do? If you're trying to grow at all costs, you're going to do different things. Um, in this example, I'll give you another metaphor that um, my dad would always give me. He's has like 40 plus years in the food business, um, working in the kitchen. Um, his last stop was at a Mexican restaurant. They serve cheap queso. It's one of the cheapest items they have, right? Um, but people love it. But what he always harped on was, if you bring that queso out to the table, that dish, it, it better be warm. Don't go grab a cold dish that's been sitting out. Like that dish better be warm. It's the cheapest item on the table, but that was his mindset because that's the value I bring, that little bit of value that people take with you. That's what I would also add to what Rand's saying here because you can combine those two. That's purpose, right? And I think that's what makes this world so fun. But when you're trying to grow at all costs, it's not fun. Like <laughs> I haven't liked that. I don't know, Mary, if you'd like that too, but I, I really love where that conversation went. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, I think that's like a perfect segue too because like Rand, what I wanted to talk to you about is I talked to a lot of people who are considering coming into startup marketing. So they've been approached by a recruiter, you know, they've been following a company. They're like, oh, startup land looks really cool. They want to go from like big in-house to like controlling their destiny a little bit more. And really interesting conversations that I haven't had before. And they're saying no to these startups because mm. of cult- oh, cultural wow. red flags. So that's becoming a really big deal now. And I think it's interesting because I think people like you have exposed what it means culturally when you have that growth at all costs mindset and what it does is kind of deteriorate the culture. So I would love to like hear your theory on why that is like, why is it that this growth at all costs also means a deterioration of culture and like what that means for the future? Like, why are we starting to hear this now from these marketers saying that's a red flag? Like, I don't I don't need that in my life. Yeah. Well, so let's see. I, uh, the, the most generous part of me wants to say there's nothing wrong with joining a unicorn chasing startup, right? If that's something that you want to do in your career, if that's 
if that aligns with your sort of personal ethics and motivations, your your morality, your sense of sort of what you want to be in the world and what you want to do and participate in, don't let me stop you, right? But think about it. Be purposeful. Like make your decision because you have considered what that means for the likelihood that the business is around in five years, right? So statistically, we, you know, you can look at the NVCA, right? They publish data every year and they're sort of like, yeah, you know, 95, 94% of startups that have raised venture capital uh, will not return their investors' minimum return requirements, right? Which is which is like two to three X. Uh, and something under 80% will return one X. So not even get their money back. So that failure rate is something that you should know going in. I think if you if you join a company and you're like, yeah, I'm really excited about this company, but you think they're going to be the next big thing because they pitched you on that and you're convinced of it, you're going to have a bad time when it goes under. But if you join knowing it's probably going to go under, you might be pleasantly surprised, you know, one out of 20 times, and you won't be too disappointed when it inevitably fails. I, I think this is like any relationship, long-term relationship you're getting into, personal, romantic, friend, professional, whatever. Um, the other, the other sort of important thing in addition to that knowledge and awareness is this recognition that to become a billion dollar unicorn, you know, sort of valuation and, and meet your investors requirements, uh, the pressure on the founding team or, or the executives and the directors is to sacrifice anything and everything in pursuit of the growth needed to get to where you need to get to. And that includes culture. So I don't, I don't think that the overwhelming majority of venture capitalists are bad people. I don't think that the overwhelming majority of founders and executives are bad people. That is not what I believe. I think they are smart and talented. I think they have good motivations. I think that they generally have good ethics and that the incentive of their business model nudges them, I don't want to even say nudges, puts extreme pressure, life-changing pressure, morality-changing pressure on them to sacrifice those things if they believe it will get them whatever, next quarter's goals so that they can raise the funds for the next time. You know what it's not dislike? It's not that dissimilar from politics, right? Where I look at whatever, a a presidential candidate, or I look at a, a gubernatorial candidate, and I'm like, I don't think they're a bad person, but I think that they're they are often of the mind that they have to do things that they don't agree with and sort of quietly do those things and agree to them in order to get enough political cloud and power to stay in office so that they can affect change on the thing that they really want to affect change on. And then they decide where, where whether to exert their power there when they've got it. And that sucks, right? That compromise absolutely sucks, but it is also reality. Um, you know, anyone who says this stuff is simple and when, you know, whenever I see a political thread online and someone's just like, well, why don't they just do this? I'm like, well, you clearly don't understand the problem, right? And you've never been in this situation. And um, thank God I never have to be in that situation, right? But but I have been in this situation. I ran a company for, you know, 17 years that tried to be a unicorn, right? That raised $30 million plus, $39 million in, in venture, right? And tried to return hundreds of millions of dollars to its fund and become a unicorn or die trying. And 
and I cared so much about the culture. Mary, I can't even tell you. I, with all my heart, with every fiber of my being, I cared about it and, and to see it be subsumed by not even nothing evil. There was no like board meeting where the, you know, all the directors got together and were like, okay, time to do the bad thing. You know, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Right. But inch by inch, you, you give up things that you know are the right thing to do in service of the thing that's going to keep you on track to perform the way your business is supposed to perform. I think that was one of the most powerful chapters in your, in your book, Lost and Founder, which I read um, you could literally feel the emotion when you were writing that of like, it wasn't, it all didn't just like come about. It was like step by step, you could feel it. And people were, and like, I think you had like one big incident that happened and you were just like, how did I let this happen? And like, I think that's exactly what it is. And that's a, and what I'm hearing from marketers is they're digging in deeper because of people like you. So because they've heard there are red flags that you should be looking out for in these startup cultures and they're starting to discover it. So I think that's a really interesting evolution of like these million dollar unicorns who now want to discover this. Yeah. I mean, the one, the one good thing, right. With the um, sort of fed raising the interest rate to control inflation is that, you know, it's obviously sucked a ton of the capital out of the venture ecosystem, which means that yes, there's layoffs and, you know, all these challenges, lots of companies shutting down. But it also means that many, many even venture-backed companies are being told, hey, that billion-dollar unicorn status, we can put that on hold for a while, just get to profitable and survive, right? Because we need our portfolio not to disappear entirely. And then when growth times come back, we can we can go for the gold. Um, that That does make things a little more sustainable. I actually, I really enjoy, so I now run a company um, Spark Toro and another company, Snack Bar Studio, and both of those companies are driven by how do we stay alive and profitable for a long time. You know, something I want to pull out with what you're saying, Rand, because again, it, it's a mindset thing, right? Is um, if growth at all costs is my mindset, I'm, that's the behavior I'm going to do, right? Bad incentive is bad behavior. It's not that anyone is doing it intentionally. I think that was the thing I wanted to pull out. No. Like you said, it's not like the board members are coming in the room saying, oh, I'm going to do something evil today. Um, and I think even at smaller companies, that doesn't happen too, right? No one is doing anything nefariously to you. But if you have that mindset and it's shared, you're all probably collectively going to do similar things. So, you know, one piece I wanted to share anecdotally, right, is probably for Mary, myself, James, and like our listeners, we have seen you repeatedly share your thoughts in culture since we started in our marketing career, right? I think that's important once you have the mindset is you have to be transparent and share it and you know it didn't take us to get to your book lost and founder for us to understand that right it's i don't know how many whiteboard fridays i've seen i don't know how many twitter posts i've seen right <laughs> i think that's important that i want like founders and also um businesses to understand is once you have a shared mindset like you actually have to go share it right like physically share it with the world um so they understand what that culture is so when they're ready to make that decision like mary's yeah. talking about um there's no red flags, right? Because they already know them, right? They're not at that conversation. No, no, this is, this is a great point, Aaron. Um, I think when I when I wrote the post on Spark Toro's website about our core values, right, which is we, we have our acronym, like, we, you know, we used an acronym at, at Moz that was called Tag Fee and for like transparency and authenticity and generosity. We have one at Spark Toro called Be Lux. Um, and, and the 
the acronym usage is just kind of a, a mnemonic device for us to, to remember and focus on it. But publishing that is the important part, right? When I, when I published and wrote about it, what I, I think what I said was something to the effect of, I don't write this to be self-aggrandizing and like self-promotional. I write it so that you, the people who like SparkToro and read our stuff or come to this post years later, can hold our feet to the fire and say, I saw you do this and that does not match with the things you said you believed in. And so I am losing trust and faith in you. Or, holy crap, you folks actually live up to the thing you're talking about. You, you don't just believe your values, you live them and you show it. And it, it's, it's sort of a public declaration of, I want to be held accountable for the things that I say, as opposed to, hey, quietly behind the scenes, we're going to have this thing that we say we care about, but we can change it at any time. And really the thing we care about is making more money. 100%. So James, Aaron, and I worked at a small agency called Gorilla 76, publicly published their core values. It was interrogated mm. at all of your performance reviews, not only to the company, but also to the individual. So it's all self-promotional. Yeah, it's it's so key. And it just, it makes you feel, like you said, Rand, a part of it. And I think that's just so important to do that publicly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially to, you know, Mary, I don't, you know, I don't know what, what your values at your agency were, but I think for for me, for us, like a big part of it was trying to unspool real values from things that sort of sound good on a piece of paper, <laughs> um, right? So uh, whatever, saying trustworthy. Okay, yeah, I mean, I agree that 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 is a value. It's a, it's a real value that you could have or being fiscally responsible or something like that. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's the same as, you know, Moz's well, historically uh, in the before times transparency, like a belief in transparency suggests you're, you're going to share, for example, Moz shared every year I was CEO, at least publicly, we put our numbers on, on the website and that included revenue, even in years when it, uh, you know, wasn't going so well, it included traffic, it included user numbers. You could see our like search data, right? So people people could and did learn from that company. In fact, several of Moz's competitors have told me like, hey, I, I kind of started and modeled my business, you know, whatever it was, uh, SEMrush or Ahrefs, because I could see your numbers out there. And I was like, yeah, that looks like a great business. Look at their margins. Look at, you know, how they run things. We, we can do that. So did it invite competition? Did it have things that were, you know, kind of negative externalities as a result of it? Sure. But it didn't matter. Like that's what we believe. That's what we lived. That's who we were. If you like that mission and vision and those values, you came to us, um, and that that was true for customers and for team members. I'm curious, uh, Rand. Like just because I'm I'm thinking about the the non-founders in the listening audience, um, and you know, I guess if you're if you're looking for if you're looking for, for a unicorn experience, not in that you end up working for the next Apple, but that you end up working for a company where you are happy about the culture and not working at, mm -hmm. you know, 98% of companies, um, <laughs> like what can you do? Is it, is it only a matter of doing a good job evaluating, you know, when you're looking for a job or is there, what, what, what's, 
you know, what can you do to help affect this thing once you're already there? Like, I guess there, or is there a way that an an employee can do that um, in the face of poor incentives? So it's a very tough thing. I, I certainly believe that responsibility primarily falls to leadership, but uh, that being said, once you once you join a team and have committed to a set of values and you you believe that your company really values those, then then it's up to you to hold their feet to the fire, right? And to call them out with kindness, right? And 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 sort of compassion. Uh, but to hold their feet to the fire, your your manager, your uh, other team members, right? If something that you're doing, right? If if I say um, I don't know, to Amanda, like, hey, I know that you're off on parental leave this week, uh, but I really need you to do this thing. Amanda should, when she gets back from parental leave, hit me up and be like, that's, that is not boundary, right? The B in Belux stands for boundaries. That was not a cool ask, unless it's an emergency, like, come on. I know you're better than this, right? And she can do that because we have a very close relationship, right? And it depends on the the style of your organization, how you might call someone out. Um, but you know, if I were in a bigger organization and I were sort of you know many layers down, I might tell my boss like, "Hey, sorry, that this is my boundaries for the week. I, I actually cannot do this," and and I would end it there, right? Just call it out. Use the same word that they use in their you know value statement to make it really clear that. That's what you're doing. Uh, but I would not, what, what I expect is that culture starts at the top, but then it quickly becomes something that a, a team establishes. And that, you know, you might think, I, I've been in this position many times, you might think that like, if there's parts that are breaking at those lower levels, right, and and on individual teams, that it's leadership's responsibility. And that is partially correct, but I don't believe exclusively correct. Yeah. Right? Everybody, we all participate, right? We all decide what's okay to say and do as Americans, right? Like, is it okay to commit insurrection if the candidate that you wanted to win the election didn't win? Well, we all, all of us as Americans, right? We get to decide like, yes, that's a thing that's okay. And we want to change the laws to make, you know, violent insurrection, like cool, or no, we don't think that's okay. We would like to keep our existing laws and enforce them as we, as we uh, have in the past. And this, right. This is like a cultural thing that, absolutely comes from the top, right? Comes from leadership in the case of the United States, or it comes from founders, the the people who wrote the constitution, whatever. And it's an obligation for all the people who are in the environment and the country and the company and the startup and the agency to live up to it and to see that their peers live up to it. Right. Like uh, on on some level, especially if the company's big, like your experience of the company's culture is going to be directly related to like your direct manager. And how they go about, you know, policing would be the wrong word, but like ensuring that everyone's acting in accordance with, you know, whatever the core values are that you believed in enough to start working there. Um, And you know, something's wrong if they don't, if like you call them out and you're like, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting. 
you know, I had an expectation for how I was going to be treated as, you know, a member of this team and it's not being met. Um, that's where, you know, there's a discord. That, that, that's exactly right. So, I, I mean, this, this just came across my radar today, but um, as a great example of holding someone's feet to the fire, it, probably you folks are familiar with the, um, the sort of like big viral Alaska Airlines story where the Boeing 737 had like the um, left hand door open during the flight and they had to make an emergency landing and someone's shirt was like sucked out of there. It, anyway, sounded terrifying. Thank God nobody was hurt. Everybody's all right. But um, today they're on, on one of the airline pilot forums, a person who chose to remain anonymous uh, who's a current Boeing employee, talked about exactly the culture and and specifically the situation that precipitated the four bolts that were supposed to go in that left-hand door uh, getting left on the shop floor. And like, you know, here's how, here's how exactly this thing works. I think that's beautiful. I think it is wonderful to see that person calling out, here's the culture that comes from the top that they say they believe. Here's why it isn't executed Here's the problems that happen in between. And I'm going to explain the whole thing to you. And I, I really liked what they said. I think at the end, they were like in the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board report uh, that's going to come out in like five years. They will say exactly what I just told you in this post, but in way more fancy language. So if you want to read it now, here you go. Um, but that's like holding your, you know, the, the C-suite of Boeing's feet to the fire on if you really believe in safety these are things you would change culturally. Beautiful, right? And and it comes from, it's not even, we don't even know who the employee is. Could be someone fairly high up. Seems to be somebody closer to the shop floor, but. Okay, this is actually really interesting now that we're like really hashing this out because when I'm thinking about it, so I worked at, we worked at Gorilla 76, core values, really positive experience. Felt like I was a part of something. I worked at like a running shoe store in college and we actually had core values. Yeah. It was just a little community running store like we lived it. I felt like I was a part of something. I'm at a startup today. We have core values. It's lived out. You feel like you're a part of something. So is that it? So what you're saying, Rand, is like when we're trying to tie back that final point, which is how do you live kind of a purposeful life through marketing? Is it really actually that you're just working for these companies that live out values that match your own? Is that where you find your purpose in your career? Yes, absolutely, Mary. And I would say the inverse is also true. If you are hiring or recruiting, I don't care if it's for an agency or a consultant or a contractor or a full-time employee, you should find people who want to be in the values world that you've created, right? Like I, I can tell you right now, if you're a you know unicorn chasing sort of whatever crypto bro in Miami and you hire like a um, Seattle progressive like me to work on your marketing campaign, everybody's going to have a bad time. Like we're all going to hate it. It's it's not going to go well and vice versa, right? Like if, if Spark Toro were to go out and, you know, hire one of these, what does Amanda call them? Threads bros, you know, <laughs> we're just right, sort of growth hacking their way to, to more influence through sort of taking other people's content, repurposing it into a bunch of tweets. That's, that doesn't fit with us, right? That's not Belux at all. It, it's not the vibe that we're going for. And, and we don't want to, um, not only do we want, not want that inside our company for our own culture, but the culture you build with your employees and team 
is absolutely reflected in your product and your marketing and your positioning and your market perception, right? And so if you're, you know, if your market is sort of crypto investors who expect high risk, shady stuff all the time, right? Because that's the ecosystem they're in. Very different market than sort of SparkToro's customers who expect us to behave in a, a set of inside a set of guidelines and values and fashions that they have become accustomed to, that they read about us talking about, that they listen to this podcast and they hear me and they're like, yeah, but does he, is he really like that? And is SparkToro really like that? And if I'm not, it doesn't matter if the product's good, right? They're going to, uh, I kind of hate being a subscriber. So I'm going to, I'm going to cancel my membership if I'm not ever not in need of it. I love where this conversation went. Um, we always get there, right? Even if we didn't plan it, we always get to something that's deep that we deconstruct. There's some truth in it. Here's the things I wrote down that are really important to me. You need shared values, but you need to share them. It's all about, not just about saying it, it's about doing it. And that involves everyone. Really, values, they have to come top down, but you need to advocate back up, right? Are we actually living these values, right? Yes. And then really to live a purpose-driven career through marketing and life, you should find other opportunities that they show your values. That makes so much sense, right, when you say it out loud. But if you don't live it and you're like facing that resistance, it's like, oh, man, I'll share anecdotally for proof point marketing. Um, my founders are really big on family being a part of the work. That's different, right? Is most people yeah. will say you shouldn't work where someone says we're family. For my founders, they started their agency because of complications with their child and losing their job. So it, it is important mm -hmm. to them. I did not know that I was going to have a baby when I started working there, right? But I I was like, oh, I totally align around these values. This, this is what I want to live my life around, right? That makes sense to me. And then when the moment happened, right, I don't have to question my purpose, my job, my career. It's all aligning for me. And I think that's kind of a lesson that we got to organically um, that I, I'm totally down for. I, I love where we got. Uh, is the fact that your daughter is currently asleep on your shoulder, is that a good sign? Like you're a good dad, you're representing family, or is it, oh my God, we're boring even to an eight month old. <laughs> Everyone says this because I'm having like every strategy call talking about strategy and they're like, you're either really good at strategy, really bad. We, we can't tell. <laughs> really bad. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe she's just heard it before. Yeah. yeah Purposeful marketing. We get it. James and Mary, any final questions for him? No, Rand, that was fantastic. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. I'm so glad we got to like this big critical moment. Love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my pleasure. I, uh, I love this kind of stuff and it's, it's great to find, you know, comrades in the field who are like, yes, I also care about this and I want to amplify it and broadcast it. And, you know, my, my long-term hope is that lots more people of all kinds, you know, across the business spectrum, think about building companies and starting companies and joining companies and encouraging folks who, who live this kind of a business life as opposed to, well, at work, I try and make money. And then in my personal life, that's where I have ethics and values. <laughs> like, no, you, it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to yeah. be that way for sure. Um, James, just want to give you the mic too, in case you want to say anything. Yeah, this this question might be a little just barely tangent, but something I've been thinking about is like um, I used to, you know, write for a magazine and they're a food magazine. And, you know, your job is basically to 
publish an issue every month. And it's really like when you think about it, it's really nothing special. The issue gets published and you just did your job. But when you there's a feeling in the room when you finish and between the time that you send the thing to the printer and everything is totally done and the time that the whole team focuses on the next issue, there is like a time period where you're really like you celebrate the win of honestly just doing your job. And I feel like there's something I've been thinking about that is like in a high performance culture, it becomes really hard to celebrate just doing your job and people look for like excellence to celebrate. Um, and mm. there's, I, I don't really know like what the solution is, like the, what the way around that is, because it is so great to be in a high performance culture where you do receive, you know, recognition for excellence and you do get to grow and you do get to feel that. Um, but you, there is like sometimes a miss of like, um, feeling good about just showing up to work that week and just doing your job. Um, and being excited just to go in and do the basic work that you need to do. And I, I'm just like curious if like you have a you have more experience in culture crafting and just more professional experience in general than I have, who mostly was in a kitchen. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are. So I think it is a beautiful and wonderful thing to recognize that for almost all of human history, what was needed was far more people going and doing the basics of their job reasonably well and very, very little high performance culture excellence, right? What would be rewarded in a sort of modern hustle culture workplace. And I also think that language matters a lot here. When you say high performance culture, right? I I think I grok what you mean. I, I know that you're um, talking about a bunch of you know places that are, are particularly popular in the American economy and and sort of focus on you know rewarding winners and and not necessarily growth at all costs, but definitely growth being uh, the primary metric for success, right? And and financial growth being uh, chief among those. And I agree with you that sometimes those can be fun for certain people, but. I would argue that I would sort of interrogate the the core um, positioning there and, and say that I think that many times high performance and outstanding performance comes from an environment where you are not under tremendous constant pressure to outperform, overperform, but instead are given the freedom and flexibility to work in the way that is best and most comfortable for you. If you've ever heard this saying of like, oh, all my best thoughts come to me in the shower or when I go on long walks, that is because human physiology works in such a way that your brain processes things uh, while you are not actively thinking about them. And so when it is released from the stress of I have an active problem that I'm working on, it often bubbles up to the top of your mind all these great ideas and things that you could be doing and sort of out, outstanding stuff. And, and I think more modern workplaces should take advantage of how human physiology works. And so this is something we do at SparkToro. We try, we're like no more than 32 hours a week, like French working hours. That's, that's it. That's our, uh, our aim. 
hopefully lots of weeks where we're like 15 or 20 hours so that we can have that one outstanding idea every few weeks, every month, right? Maybe a couple days in a week if there's a, you know, if lightning strikes twice and go execute on those things really hard when we have the time and bandwidth and energy to do them. So, you know, we get excited about something and Casey will pull, you know, crazy all nighters and, you know, get that thing out there. We have an idea for something and Amanda will like work her tail off and get this, you know, awesome thing out. And then next week will be like 12 hours, you know, <laughs> which is awesome. Like we answer our email and not a lot else. And it, it really, it really works. So I, yeah, I, I think that there are ways to be high performance without traditional high performance culture. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, that's also like the promise of like software as a business, because you don't have to, no one has to show up and actually make the burger every day. Um, so you do, you should be able to free yourself on some level from from some of that in a software company. Yeah. And I love... I mean, I love technology for this reason, right? The idea is that it gives human beings freedom and flexibility from labor that would have taken blood and sweat and toil decades and centuries ago. And I don't, I don't love the prevailing cultural idea that that blood, sweat, and toil is an admirable thing in and of itself. I, I don't, I fundamentally disagree with that. I, I mean, there's almost nothing in the world of traditionalism that I believe in, but uh, that would that would certainly be among them. And uh, my, you know, my contention would be that it's also scientifically wrong, right? That essentially you're going to get far more innovation and and value and sort of even if you're a, you know, hyper stock markety capitalist, if if what you want is the next big thing that is not going to happen from, you know, 500 tech bros being burnt out for years on end. I, I don't, I don't believe that word. I, I am grokking what you're putting down as well. Thank you for, for taking that on. Yeah, man, this is, this is good stuff. You, y'all got a heck of a podcast here. So yeah. really lovely. All right, cool. We yeah. can cut there. Yeah, cut. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him say anything else. <laughs> no, I love it. I think, again, what we love most is just those deep thinking and how that applies to every life. And James mentioned the burgers. We want to make philosophical marketing burgers every week. That's all we want to do, right? Is just a little deeper, but do the work. Rand, we appreciate you coming on. Where do you want the listeners to find you? Our call to action them. Oh, yeah. Or do you want the listeners to find you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, so I actually love, I'm uh, quite efficient with email. So I invite anyone to email me anytime. I'm rand at sparktoro.com. And I am most active sort of professionally on LinkedIn and threads. Um, Historically, I used to use Twitter, but but almost almost not at all anymore. Uh, And if uh, folks want to try out SparkToro, it is completely free. There's no like credit card free trial or whatever. It's just a free tool that anyone can play with at sparktoro.com. Can confirm. Yeah, I can't confirm. I just used it for mechanical engineers and it was fantastic. Thank you. Ooh. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Used it the other day for biotech consultants. So um, we're using it. It's a real thing. <laughs> Again, high five into yes. the camera. <laughs> for our listeners, um, just like Rand said, where you can email him, that's the best place. 
you can DM myself or Mary. That's how you get on the show. If you email me, I'm like the total opposite. <laughs> I will not answer it. So that's the best place to DM me. Um, again, this will be on all podcast feeds. We're getting back on YouTube. You can find us there. But really what I want you to take out of this episode is culture is fluid and we're like, we'll figure it out together. It's going to change. If we have these type of conversations and we're all doing it more frequently, I think we're all going to have a better culture at our workplace in our life. That's what really impacted me as we were talking with Rand. So take that with you listeners. Have a good one and listen to the next episode of Purposeful Marketing. Peace. <laughs>